The bike rider is Cliff Workman, treasurer of the Hells Angels. He's here to challenge his biographer, a tense young literary journalist named Hunter Thompson. What did you think of the book? Well, I'll tell you, Al, and, and Hunter, everybody in this room, that that book is 60% cheap trash. This is what happened. Junkie George was beating his old lady. Junkie George? <laughs> Junkie George's dog bit him, right? I, I mean, this is a personal fan. This is I a didn't personal feud. If a guy wants to beat his wife and his dog bites him, that's between the three of them. But there was somebody about 30 feet to my left beating his wife to a pulp on the rocks. If he'd been beating her that bad, somebody would have stopped him. Oh, no, don't, don't. Uh, you're you're kidding me, and you're going to kid everybody else. No, nobody stopped him, and you know he beat his wife up. You just said it, right? You walked right up to him, and you said, only a punk beats his wife and dog. You finished And he all. said, Hunter, you want, you want some of this? And you said no, but you got it anyways. And when he hit you, three or four others of them hit you, too. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You're here with your host, comic Nick Munez. Today we've got our October-themed edition. It's going to be a spooky one. We thought February we did spook month, right? This is true investigative journalism from America's most creative writer. Hunter S. Thompson is debriefing Hell's Angels. Organic 1960s American culture, the hippies versus the bikers over on the Golden Coast. We're taking it up to the hate, having 4th of July bashes around Bass Lake today. These are hundreds of fearless men tearing up the Pacific Coast Highway, riding, raiding, raping like Genghis Khan's cavalry. You're encroaching on the highway patrol's territory out there, and it's going to turn into a municipal turf war hunters taking beatings left and right throughout this book what's the difference between a harley davidson motorcycle and a vacuum cleaner the harley holds the dirt bag on the outside we got hunter s thompson's take on honda versus harley and all these guys are riding these frankenstein choppers it's the motorcycle of theseus how many parts do you have to replace before your harley becomes a honda you know what my favorite kind of motorcycle joke is a Yamaha. -ha. Yeah, don't rev me up here. The characters today include Frenchie, this guy who spent three months in a hospital due to a gas can explosion. You have Tiny and Magoo, who become Hunter's tag teams for these brawls. Of course, there's Sonny Barger, the leader of the Hells Angels. I'll sprinkle in my own story, how I got into a crash on my little 150, and now I won't even so much as go on a Peloton. Not really. Have you seen those new Pelotons where you can sling them sideways? It's like an arcade game. I'm just going to be a pinball wizard, start working out in my apartment with a skee-ball machine. <laughs> Today's show goes over the gangster code of total retaliation. Not just Chuck E. Cheese tokens out here. This is how these groups, the Hells Angels, the Gypsy Jokers, you have to ensure group loyalty. So if one man gets into a fight, everybody gets into a fight. This code of ethics they have. Legally, does this make every member an accomplice to a crime? On the West Coast, they have gang databases that include 60% of males. If you join a gang, technically you are guilty by association. These guys are immune to image, the Hells Angels, when they help an old lady who has a broken down car, they leave this little calling card and it actually says, when we help, nobody remembers. When we do wrong, nobody forgets. I forgore. Bogo's vinted. 
Today, we humanize the Hells Angels with the help of one of America's best creative writers. Closed captioning is brought to you by... And welcome back. Make sure you're checking out the Patreon page. The Hikes. The Hikes. Uh, Harry Schwant over on Instagram. Funny memes are going up and they're getting better. We go through periods, booms and busts. Four years of memer. It only gets better. Hunter Stockton Thomas. We've done it once. Do it quick. Born in Louisville, 1937. His parents said he was always different, angry, but a charismatic kid. When his dad passed away in his teenhoods, he got into guns, liquor, girls... He excelled at sports, writing, rewrote novels, and tried to keep his mind oddly occupied in his spare time. His dude blew up a vending machine in high school, so they didn't let him walk at graduation, and he decided to enlist rather than going to jail. Indentured servitude in the Army, he wrote for the Air Force, and his papers started to go viral, so he moves to New York after his time, meets his wife Sandy. They go to Puerto Rico together, and he starts writing the Rum Diaries. He doesn't publish it, goes to Big Sur, California, and actually wrote that book first. He's like living out the back of a truck, $15 a month, just eating waves for breakfast. 60s come around, his 20s are ending, he moves to the hate with his wife, observes the hippie movement, raises a kid with his wife there. That should be child abuse. A lot of mystical sluts up there in the hate. What uh, sound does a witch's motorcycle make? Broom, broom. Moves to his forever home with the wife in Woody Creek Canyon, Colorado. There's all those stories about him trying to run for mayor of Aspen, and he almost won as a joke. Is the father of gonzo journalism. It's like the immersive, over-the-top, sometimes fictionalized stories. The Fear and Loathing book is in our backlog. $3, patreon.com slash the niche. That, in the beginning of the video, I found this awesome infographic, sped it up. It's like two minutes long, and it's these stick figures, Horatio and Hunter, going through the entire plot of Fear and Loathing. Video is worth it alone for that gif. This is our only reporter we know of that's gone undercover with the Hells Angels. Great writer. 2005 fired a 45 Magnum into his mouth. <laughs> Who did Fonzie call when his motorcycle broke down? Triple A. How about we throw it to another word from our sponsors? There are wild monkeys all around the world, yet only recently have we discovered just how extraordinary they are. Chapter 1, Roll 'em, Boys. California, Labor Day weekend, 1964. 
The menace is set loose once again. There are Hell's Angels coming out of their holes in Frisco, Hollywood, the Big Sur, Monterey, all over California. Families are commuting in the holiday traffic while these monsters are ripping at 90 miles an hour down the center stripe. Hunter called them fearless men riding like Genghis Khan on an iron horse with a fiery anus. Only going to get that language from this guy. The Rat Pack is riding, Little Jesus, they have Chocolate George, Zorro, Hambone, Marvin the Molester, they got Crazy Cross, Puff Magoo, hundreds of more, riding like the wind, raping, doing anything. This particular Labor Day, Monterey is where the run is taking place, going from Monterey to Frisco. Terry is going to be one of Hunter's close accomplices. He's this 6'2", 210-pound Jewish guy, which he gets tons of shit for. You know, they wear the swastikas on their jackets, the Hells Angel. They still let Jewish people in the club. The media doesn't tell you that. Terry's got a police record of uh, battery, rape, petty theft, narcotics, and public sex. By 9 a.m. this day, him and Scrap were laced up, ready to ride, cracking beers while their wives made them coffee, throw on their well-earned colors, hit the concrete. Their emblem is, you've seen it, I'll put pictures on the YouTube, the winged skull in a helmet, and it's sewn on the back of the denim, and usually on a sleeve are the insignias. And back in the time it was a denim jacket, they do a lot of leather now. If a Hells Angel has a 13 on their jacket, it stands for the 13th letter of the alphabet, M, indicating they smoke marijuana. And Hunter said a few times he saw the one percenter badge on people's denim. And this is uh, like an urban myth. How do you acquire it? The inner circle of the Hells Angels. This jacket is your true colors. You're passing to the club. How do you get it? Wait and see. Some context. By 1965 in California, there were one and a half million registered riders. The Hells Angels account for Less than 5% of that. Thank you for the math problem, Hunter. Just as he's leaving East Oakland, Hunter runs into the vice president, and he's on the side of the road drinking a beer, dyeing his beard green. They ride together to meet up with everybody, Monterey. First person that Hunter sees there is Ralph Sonny Barger, the president. The guy's six foot tall, 170 pounds. And I'm giving all the weigh-ins here because fights are very imminent. He's not the biggest Sonny here. He has a characteristics of a leader. He goes by Prez Papa Daddy, rarely raises his voice except when in an argument with an outsider. He's quoted saying, Some cops tell me they would rather deal with the Hells Angels than all these civil rights protesters at the Berkeley. There's about 150 angels strong heading on their way to San Bernardino, a.k.a. Burdu. Hunter says some of the guys are peeling off their leather down to just shirtless. I've rode, I said, a Kimco 150. Definitely rode shirtless before. Do not fall off. You will be a meat crayon. You feel like you're naked, 50 mile an hour wind on your nipples. I mean, you can't replicate this feeling. <laughs> I wish I had tried that Superman trick when you lay down on the seat. The pack here, I've never got to ride 150 strong. They took it around the highways for 45 minutes, avoiding the big jams, get off at the 101 Junction 17. They're stopping at Delmont here, this massive tavern called Nick's. The vice president is letting everybody know, hey, we got some heat in this town. The papers are saying the Hells Angels has a raper amongst us. A couple 14 and 15-year-old girls in Delmont were uh, crying for help. 
We got a couple Hell's Angels being me tooed. <laughs> None of the angels know how to read, let alone buy the newspaper. So the vice president here is debriefing everybody in the bar of the high heat. Senator Murphy in California issued a statement referring to the gang as the lowest form of animals. Little does he know they're getting together for ping pong, shuffleboarding, Saturday afternoon temple. The state troopers are showing up to Nick's tavern and saying, you know, we're going to have to tell you guys to move it out. Have you seen what's in the paper? And Sonny Barger stepped up and was like, we aren't unlike any other group. We're like the stonemasons. We have a right to assemble. Remember that First Amendment thing? The cop pulled out a newspaper from his back pocket and was like, all caps headline, Hell's Angels Gang Rapes. <laughs> Can't have you in this town. Cop was like, does this look like brotherly Freemasonry to you? Beat it. Hiding behind their badges. If anybody else tried to kick a Hell's Angel out of the bar, he says they don't exactly always fight you on the spot, but by the time you come into your shop tomorrow, it's not going to look the same. Same day, Monterey Police Chief declared that Hell's Angels are no longer welcome in the township, and Nick's the bar said they closed down to the Hell's Angels forever. The owner's justification was that it changed the atmosphere. Let's go to chapter two, Making the Menace. An investigation was launched about these accusations and the Hells Angels. Remember that was before. So even when a Hells Angels got accused of rape, they at least got a trial. They didn't go straight to cancellation. Uh, six months pass of all this. It was called the Lynch Report. They accumulate 15 pages of accounts of Hells Angels misbehavior. It's all just like traffic infractions. It doesn't have to do with sexual assault. This is not allowed in a courtroom. It's an attack on someone's character. You have to actually apply to the case. Not when you're talking about a gang. New York Times labeled the report the wild ones. <laughs> Very official. You got young men across America like seeing in the papers. There's this fraternity of dudes out on the West Coast who ride however long they want to wee hours of the night. And now it's labeled the wild ones. They have a name. So you have people who only have six months of riding season on the east coast saying why would i not move out to the west coast there's already an established social order coverage isn't always good for fear-mongering like nick's bar he said uh the atmosphere changed yeah the atmosphere that the hell's angels created it wouldn't be a biker bar if the bikers never showed up to the bar he just kicked all of them out <laughs> and he's still going to advertise it as a biker bar like I'm saying, draw this up to the news. When you embellish what's happening on the streets, you are feeding into the gang war. You're not embellishing, you're making money off of it, getting clicks. It benefits the news to stir up the drama when it, in turn, feeds more into the drama. Now that we're back on fucking variants and COVID in the news, that type of fear-mongering, I kind of regret the race war dying down. <laughs> it's much more preferable to this boring shit where you can't even leave your house. We read chaos on the show, and that's kind of an overarching theme you're feeling already. Chaos took place in the 1960s. Literally, these are overlapping timelines here. Talked about COINTELPRO and some of these agent provocateurs that get sent into organizations to stir up drama. I wrote this joke when preparing for the show, but I kind of hate the ethos behind it. Coronavirus is a lot like riding motorcycles. You could drive safe, but you'll still get hit by some other asshole. You know, even though vaccinated people can spread the virus, we're only blaming the unvaccinated. 
<laughs> when you other people, whether it's their tolerance to getting stray needles poked in them, or as a motorcycle rider, the act of othering encourages people to play into that role. So some people do it with awareness as a fuck you, and some people as human action just double down. Okay, yeah, fuck you, I'm voting for an orange guy. This act, we're never going to get anywhere with all of this othering, the black scene. How is this like a racial, <laughs> non-vaxxers are racist, motorcycle riders all rape. Now that we're sufficiently off track. I mean, some people hate when I bring up contemporary news. Some people love it. They think that has to be dropped into every episode. Topicality. Hunter is like one of these writers where everything he puts into words transcends time. Hunter has been reading the news since he was a kid creating it in the Air Force. He was like, something's a little bit fishy with these reports on the Hells Angels. And he said, nobody else is going undercover with them. This is a golden egg for a writer. Hunter went through that whatever Warren report they made. He published a couple small articles about the 1,500 misdemeanors that they piled up. So he published a couple small stories, got the financing for the book. Hunter S. Thompson had a little bit of a name here, having published Rum Diaries, Big Sur. And so now that he's writing stories about it, all up and down California, you have normies buying tan jackets to ride around Fresco, and they're getting pulled over just because it looks like they're affiliated with the Hells Angels. There was a group in Sacramento who started calling themselves the Mad Dogs, and they stole some of the Angels' jackets from Fresco. I think I just said Fresco twice, like the drink. Frisco, Fresco. <laughs> Las Frescas, the city of strawberries. The Angels, having their jackets stolen, decide to get the Mad Dogs back and, in the middle of the night, roll one of their bikes out into the street and set it on fire. So the news, again, sends a night crawler out. Drama, look at this fire in the middle of the night. They're the ones who birthed the Mad Dogs as an entity, and now they're profiting off the chaos. The VP and Sonny were realizing this is getting to a new level rather than just the picnic bikers. They start charging dues. It was $100 a year, really menial. However, this puts you on the political landscape so that governor from before tries to start getting a cut of the Hells Angels. He denies it entirely. Well, we're not collecting dues. Yes, sometimes people kick me up beer money. Unfortunately, the LA Times offered an angel $1,000 for a weekend of shadowing. So not some Hunter S. Thompson, but some editorial writer paid off one of the higher-ups because there's chapters of the Hells Angels. Paid off one of the local presidents and he sold them all the secrets. Yeah, we're paying dues. Yeah, we might schedule fights with the Mag Dogs. All the stuff that you're not allowed to. People are selling out. <laughs> like it's not that tight knit of a gang as you think it does. Everybody goes through initiation. So Sonny comes out, makes this public statement denying taxes in late 1964. And there's a page out of the Freemasons book we just read. They did the same exact thing. At least the, <laughs> the angels didn't get thrown off a cliff in a coffin. The San Bernardino chapter starts watching cops all year. So they put a tail on the police. You would definitely like get <laughs> beat by a baton. There's some sort of a law where a cop would say, you're harassing me, but I'm allowed to harass you. You can't do that. However, when you're a 500-pound biker... And you got this 
metal machine of death under your legs you're a little bit more intimidating so you take a little bit of power back they're harassing the state harassers i'm not going to be able to build this point <laughs> in one hour of hell's angels but the cops are just the state's mafia you know they do their shakedowns they run certain blocks when you start looking at it through that paradigm it makes a little bit more sense why they would feed into these gang turf wars and who's the only one that's allowed to make legal profit off of this <laughs> the bloods can't go down into compton and just start arresting crips <laughs> this is a book about outlaws guns firepower is the bottom line <laughs> the san bernardino chapter was always pushing back they were the only ones in the hell's angels with a chinese member he was a mechanic for harley davidson Hunter's going to try to give the Hells Angels a better name, and that was his pitch to the higher-ups of why he should be allowed to join. When they let him in front of a group of angels for the first time, he slapped his magnum on the table and was like, you want to fight me? You're going to have to fight this gun, too. <laughs> He's saying, I know I'm a scrawny guy, that's why I pack heat, learns about initiation. This is not great. You come in your original denim, they start sewing on your uh, patches, cut the sleeves off the denim jacket, all the while, the Hells Angels are passing a bucket around the ceremony. They're peeing and defecating into the bucket. And so when you get to put your jacket on for the first time with all the insignia, they throw the bucket of piss and shit onto you. And you have to let it seep into your jacket. So you smell like death your first year of riding. But you're supposed to be proud of it. And every angel goes through it, so now they have blackmail on each other. In the cop mafia, you just have to... <laughs> choke out a black teenage boy hunter had a handful of angels over to his apartment once the bar closed the first night a guy left crabs on his couch <laughs> and he says for the entire next year there wasn't a moment when there was not a hell's angels at his apartment he would be at the bars three nights a week old terry was able to scare off hunter's rent collector in the middle of the night he would throw trash cans off the roof he would practice with his 12 gauge in the backyard you can't do that anywhere no one ever called the cops again you got these hulkish bikers <laughs> ready to lay down a knuckle sandwich all the neighborhoods start gossiping about hunter his landlord even moved out and then he decides to relocate <laughs> let's go to chapter three accomplice or outlaw while most of the hell's angels practice burglary and stripping down cars most were on unemployment insurance. One out of ten hunters said would have a job in a body shop, maybe making 200 bucks a week. After their reports from Oakland Fresco, nobody was getting jobs. Like if you, if you ride motorcycles, you are no longer being consideration for employment. These guys don't expect to win anything from being on the road. And more importantly, they're probably there because they have nothing to lose. This is purely done out of... <laughs> trying to find some happiness in the world and now you can't get a job hunter tries to talk about them in the report as the helpful mechanics on the side of the road not the shady tow truck operators good luck dude hunter took on a goliath task trying to humanize these demons before world war ii cyclists in california were weekenders they would have a surfboard strap on the side hunter is saying the image is supposed to be turning into a militant group of men in their 30s this is basically a mating call for disenfranchised males bobo was this ex-boxer from frisco and he joined and everybody was big for this scene 
This is why they invite P. Diddy to trap houses. You gotta get some clout up in your gang. <laughs> this is Bobo the Boxer. He could knock a guy out with one punch. So everyone stood close to him when it looked like stuff was about to go down. His dojo was taken away because he fought a Japanese guy and killed him. There's another way of fighting, too, they had back in the day Hunter goes into. He said he stopped punching the Japanese man when he could no longer stand up. That is impressive. You're watching MMA type of fights on World Star. Like I'm saying, the fights of today take to the ground. You're allowed to do chokeholds in jiu-jitsu. Back in the 60s, it was fisticuffs. If a guy laid down like a pussy, you had to let him get back up, give him 10 seconds. You fought with a little bit of class. Now you stomp on people's skull. Especially if you're in a three-on-three like you see on World Star. Seems like gang activity on that website. (laughs) Bobo killed this Japanese guy from a standing punch. (laughs) Known for leaving blood on his denim jacket. The Hells Angels was apparently named after a World War I bomber squadron. They started as the Market Street Commandos in California. As these newspaper articles come out, it's not including any of the heritage or where these guys come from. They're veterans. It actually encourages California drivers to start driving more aggressively towards bikers. <laughs> like on a motorcycle, your only defense is maneuverability. You got to have a gun to fight back or guns. What? <laughs> like uh, you're more likely to get into a car accident than catch a flu. The news is actually encouraging road rage. One of the hardest uh, things to come to terms with with the Hells Angels is this like eye for an eye mentality they have. And that's the gang idea, the extreme retaliation I was talking about. It's You can't humanize them past this point. I know you probably think I'm on the Hells Angels side. Anytime you join a group, you have just equalized yourself to the lowest common denominator of that group. In 1966, a report came out about Hells Angels standing up against police brutality. It was at one of those college riots, 60s California, and the Hells Angels came and beat up the cops who were beating up kids who were just talking. So it's like some Robin Hood shit going on. Now we have a back the blue versus a defund the police movement or whatever. It's a repeating script, but whose side should you be on? It's a little more nuanced than... George Floyd and Derek Chauvin who worked together in a sketchy nightclub. (laughs) Like, these were some real issues people could have complex discussions about. It's kind of less interesting to be bringing up BLM when you had such a highly served platter here. Gang total retaliation, and the argument has just devolved into, I can't breathe! Freedom of association is a pretty risky idea in a lot of people's minds, but it doesn't get violent until you assert these principles of if I fight you have to fight that clause violates the non-aggression principle so immediately this is not a peaceful organization you could classify it as America loves to do a terrorist organization (laughs) and this actually happens later in the book I don't remember the exact verbiage it's been happening since the 60s it's not just the war on terror when we started fighting insurgents And everybody's had this uh, nightmare. (laughs) You wander up to a bar and you accidentally knock over one of the Hells Angels motorcycles and it starts a domino reaction. They all start hitting each other over. 
Hunteris Thompson is like they might not care that you accidentally left a scratch on their motorcycle one time. They just have to punch you out. It's like a code of ethics. They <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. It's his pride and joy. To end the chapter and finish that point about the solo riders, Hunter said a few hundred overland riders with no clubs were traversing California during this era. They called themselves the Lone Wolves, where they just wrote fuck you on their jacket. An overlander is someone who puts like a tent and all that shit on their person. And there's this other group called Los Camancheros, like the Comanches who were known for being natives who rode horses. That's a sick name for a Mexican biker gang. Now the Mexican gangs sent your severed head to your mother. Where's the class? Pretty crazy to hear that there can be independent riders out there as well. Just not as luxurious of a time, but it goes to serve the point. You don't have to join one of the groups, and you can still party at Bass Lake in the Big Bash coming up. Late 60s, California's proving motorcycle license at nine times the average rate. Takes us to Chapter 4, Harley versus Honda. An angel likes a big Harley. These things are two-wheeled tanks. You got a freaking car engine on your crotch. Most Hells Angels would rather be caught dead than on a Honda, a Yamaha, or a Suzuki. Like I said, I had a Kimco. What the fuck is that? It's Taiwanese, I looked it up. (laughs) This thing could rice burn up to 90 miles per hour. The Asian brands are supposed to be cheaper, better on gas, better maneuverability and safety. But this is not what an American wants. A Hells Angel wants destruction, attention, and danger. Think about like the transporter movies. Who's that bald guy, Jason Statham, doing European car chases? There's always the villains on those zippy motorcycles. Think about American culture. Terminator, Arnold on a Harley fat boy with a pump-action shotgun. (laughs) We want might. We want muscle over here in this country. Harleys are the Hell's Angels' choice. These guys are trying to be cool. They don't want to be safe. It's the antithesis. The Hell's Angels still wear goggles, which I've made this mistake before. If it's raining and you don't have protection on your eyeballs, it feels like you're getting shot with a BB gun in the retina. I mean, I've driven without any sort of like hand protection in the rain, and if it's big enough droplets, you're dealing with marbles inside a paintball gun. Like, I can't explain it without doing an act out, but my eyes were watering, just ripping through, trying to go to fucking work at 2 a.m. in the rain, delivering pizzas on a moped. I'm fucking Peter Parker out here. It's a fun time. You can get hurt if you don't have the proper equipment. In my crash, I unfortunately ruined my glasses. They weren't expensive or anything, but I have no excuse to wear them anymore. They were like aviator type of lenses, but they were yellow because at nighttime <laughs> obviously you want to have some wind protection otherwise your eyeballs are going to dry out like raisins it's a pretty sweet excuse to wear some yellow tints <laughs> if you're a gas station hunter as thompson says you better shoot first and plead defense later one station operator said the hell's angels broke every inch of glass and stole entire food racks from his shop but they left enough cash at the end of the looting, so they're welcome to come back anytime. <laughs> Obviously, Hell's Angels aren't great at repressing their urges, but some of them were so degenerate that they would get sucked off by twinks in bar bathrooms. 
didn't even know this was a thing back then. The what is it? A glory hole? The foot tap in the trucker bathrooms, even in the sixties. Sometimes you would drive by a leather bar and see a familiar bike out front. A leather bar is a gay bar back at that time. I mean, what is this? A pretty gay a men's club and you're wearing leather daddy equipment? Okay, take a step back, Mr. Angel. Any good men's club, though, does have a high dose of um, gay chicken. <laughs> you know, how did you know that the guy's bike was at the gay bar unless you were there making out with guys? There has to be that. Are you gay? No, that guy was definitely acting gay. Hunter's like, <laughs> it seems to be that only the gay angels had gaydar. It's like, you don't, as a straight guy, it goes over your head most of the time. And you don't want to be trying to tune into, is this guy hitting on me? You just fucking eyes wide shut that shit. <laughs> How do we start this chapter? It definitely wasn't about gay sex. Uh, the Honda versus Harley. <laughs> The bikes that they make, I said in the intro, they're scrapped or stolen or come from negotiated parts. So it's even more personal to have your individual bike. However, angels will put Honda parts on Harleys. So it's the ship of Theseus. Once you replace enough boards on the ship, is it still the original? They're driving around freaking Franken bikes. These are your own creation, so it really is cooler, I'm saying. Why are we doing brand war, giving them Honda vs. Harley? It's about designing your own cool bike. And of course, there's danger to creating your own chopper. There's all these laws. So if you get pulled over on a chopper, you get hit for the $150 speeding fine, and then they hit you for your handlebars are two inches too long. Running a little bit of a risk there. But American choppers, I mean... Remember that TV show, Junior and Senior, just fighting over each other? That was just <laughs> Pawn Stars, but in a garage. To certify as a chopper, you got to have like a 1,200cc engine, something just massive. The LA Times wrote about how Germans used chopped bikes in World War II to Blitzkrieg Poland. How scary would this be? You're living in Krakow, and you hear... <laughs> Over the horizon, thousands of methed out Nazis rolling up on bikes with MP40s. <laughs> they said it would have a half-sized gas tank, a side clutch, and sissy bars to cut off weight, and that way a passenger could sit on back with a submachine gun. What? Did you even know that motorcycles were used in war? That's sick. Wouldn't you want to be part of the first cavalry of iron horses? <laughs> That's a badass. That's what should be on History Channel. Instead, is Junior and Senior arguing who gets to use the tattoo gun first. <laughs> Let's end this chapter. Hunter S. Thompson has a crash story. He starts prefacing a bike can make a turn at 100 miles per hour, and you got to hit 50 miles per hour on some turns to keep your momentum going. It's like uh, spinning a bucket on a string with water centrifugal force. You have to be going fast enough so that you don't fall over. Or, you know, you've ridden a bike. <laughs> uh, with not enough speed, you could do a low side, which is when you dump the bike and you fall towards the inside of the turn. Or you could do a high side, which is what happened to Hunter in 1965, and he had a passenger on the back. He said he was going around the corner in a rain slick. His rear wheel lost traction, no longer filling the front. So a round swings the back, and he starts skidding on a motorcycle. He said it was peaceful for a moment, and then when the skid stopped, it caught back. 
you get flung up. He said he felt like he was being shot out of a bazooka. I say on stage about when I got into my accident, it felt like I got launched out of a catapult. And you feel lighter than ever. You do feel like an angel. I felt like Gonzo the Muppet getting shot out of a cannon. I mean, you it's fun, yeah, until you have a mouthful of concrete. Hunter was writing beautifully how you could hear the metal sparking on the ground, but still, it's like a weird silence. 50 mile per hour winds are rushing around your ears, but somehow you're more aware, more alive than ever in the final seconds. <laughs> Hunter, he's like, my partner only sprintered his thigh bone. He woke up in a hospital with a little bit of brain damage. There's not one Hell's Angel who hasn't been in the ER. When you're riding with the angels, you're going to see a lot of casts, crutches, and bandages. you got to stop asking why and just learn to accept the story. If it's a good one, it'll be told. Sonny, the president, had a steel plate in his head, metal rod in one of his arms, a plastic ankle, scars all over. He used to talk about civil unrest on street corners and how the planet made him mad. So now he's preaching his crazy ideologies to these lost people. <laughs> Colts, Chapter 5, Hoodlum Circus is where the fun starts. 4th of July, 1965. There are master's degrees written about this year. Bass Lake is a resort town near Yosemite National Park. The Angels' annual midsummer picnic is always there. However, they had a chapter president this year tip off a pretty big cop who convinced the force that they were going to be having it in Malibu. So they buy themselves a few extra hours Leading up to this day, there were headlines, Hell's Angels massing, prepare for 4th of July invasion. It's just priming people for panic. Highway Patrol announces they have this new radar technology. They're trying to use fear on the Hell's Angels. <laughs> it's like trying to use a fire to defeat Hades. The Angels already know where all the speed traps are, so their uh, new radar tech scare plan isn't going to work. The fear is only working on the people who don't need any more of it. The early 1960s, Reno passed a bill saying no more than two bikers are allowed on the road at once. What? That's the lamest shit I've ever heard. So you are technically not allowed to ride with more than one friend. More experienced bikers know what towns are friendly to bikers. You know, it's just you don't have rights in certain towns. It's a town of 20,000 people, Bear Lake, and has a police force of 25. Wherever you go, like if a gang pops up somewhere, that town is going to need backup. It's a pretty cool stat. I bet you didn't know. 10 cops for 10,000 people. Crime is so out of control. 8 a.m., San Francisco, 4th of July. Hunter S. Thompson wakes up in a scatter. He's in Kern County. Outside of his hotel, he sees 20 gypsy jokers heading out to Bass Lake, and he asks if he could ride with them. They stop in a downtown diner in Oakland. He's like, uh, these people are pretty fun. I don't understand why there's so much beef. Hunter catches up to the angels. He calls them a circus on wheels. He recognizes the jacket patches from a mile away. Like, the angels created all the classic ones. Mom in a heart with an arrow through it. Dolly, love, like I said, swastikas they have tattooed, skulls, Jack the Ripper. Common catchphrase they had was dope forever, forever loaded. Rape, LSD would just say on their jackets. <laughs> Sonny, in confidence, would call the gang a giant joke or a big masquerade. But he's saying if you could get over 
the fear of seeing a hundred clowns in formation, it actually becomes pretty exemplary of a display. It's a hot day. They got hot ladies on the back of the bikes. They're approaching Bass Lake, and the Gypsy Jokers peel off. They have their own campsite. Local law enforcement estimates 500 Hells Angels showed up this year. Hunter's friend Buzzard had a pork pot pie hat and a cane, and inside the cane was a hidden blade he would break out during fights. Buzzard rips ahead 100 miles an hour to destroy a speed block put in at the foot of Bear Lake. Pack rolls up from behind. Everyone had their billy clubs ready, slingshots, freaking brass knuckles, switchblades sawed off. They are ready for a battle. The cops are doing small circles in lots just outside off the highway to signify, hey, we're ready to chase. We're already got the tires warm. They arrive at Bass Lake. The sheriff shows them a plot up the mountain where they could go picnic. And all the angels that have been there multiple times are saying, this is the worst campsite that I have ever seen, uneven ground. Hunter thinks he knows from all of his travels that mountain people take longer to anger. So he's like, probably not night one, but if we stay here for longer than the weekend, we are definitely going to hear it from those townspeople. Hunter hiked down the mountain to the main road, and he said there were 500 local people armed and ready to fight back. (laughs) Hunter and Sonny met up with the sheriff, And he's like, you're allowed to camp, but we're watching you extra close. You're going to be in deep trouble. So there's not any real threat that the cops can make against the Angels. They ran out of beer on the first night. Sonny gave Hunter 125 bucks, and a six-pack back then was 80 cents. This guy's about to haul a brewery. When Hunter gets to the beer store, there was a chain of vigilantes blocking the entrance, like 20 townsfolk standing hand in hand in front of the door going all the way around luckily one of the angels knew another beer supplier in the area and he had to deliver it to them out the back door the cops were like stay up in the hills you got to get out of here the beer runs are going to have to take place even further outside of town first night was a legendary scene people jumping over the fire singing out loud tossing beer cans at each other Hunter up extra early the next day gets a newspaper and the headline is The Rape of Bass Lake. Takes it to chapter 6, Motorcycle Mutts. Hell's Angels never had a problem with people who own their own land. These are like city boy gypsies. They belong on the road. So the fact that they are in a town, even if it's on public land, is going to be an issue. Hunter called it a low-class phenomena of people from two generations who never owned a car. (laughs) When you don't have wheels, you feel like your brain is shrinking. Like, it just makes your horizon smaller. There's less things you could think, see, do, people. It's a fucking hilarious comparison. Two generations of carless folk, and then you get some guy who's just like, I need to see everything. Hunter's having some of these deep conversations with Terry around the fire. And he's like, a lot of the people my age that are angels were a whole lot of neglected baby boomers. And it's just like an outcast syndrome. It's not two generations deep of bloodlines of animalistic people. It's just not feeling welcome anywhere. (laughs) Hunter is like, no, I think I'm onto something here. He goes, some of these men are able to track their lineage back to criminals, debtors, misfits, servants... He says the Linkhorns were the most notorious white trash in the U.S. history. 
Like uh, you always hear about the Hatfields and the McCoys. These guys were trading slaves together. The Linkfields were brewing whiskey. I mean, this is, you don't hear about this like echelon of trash that exists in America. And he thinks this is just those genes passed down. This next morning, some more angels are rolling up with beer, some more women. The sheriff is still within eyesight. Everyone's telling stories of their pillages from the year. This is like the big meetup of all the chapters. Some guy actually walked back <laughs> to the fire from the night prior with a bloody lead pipe. So the stories are still coming. Angels saying it's always better to fight than to be arrested because the tickets always go to the person that's at the scene of the crime. So it's expensive to lose. <laughs> The angels have makeshift hospitals and repair rooms up and down California. This is like mob doctors. They seriously have their own society set up. Some of the angels actually camped outside of the sheriff's house all night just to try to send a message back. 1957, they bought all of Bass Lake's beer and suffered two casualties from fireworks. So unfortunately, Hunter only went in 1965. It sounds like eight years prior. They had some bigger bashes. In 57, that little militia at the base of the hill tried to raid the angels' camp at night. You know, the bodies hit the floor. You're not coming into their territory. The guys threw townsfolk into the bonfire. <laughs> they're spit-roasting your town girls, and then they're going to throw you on a stick. Underlying message over the past decade was, the sheriff is trying to reinforce who's in control. <laughs> So Sonny is like, I'm ordering two of my most skittish men to go stay outside of the sheriff's house. It's all about positioning. Like when an idiot dude comes into a room, <coughs> he starts like coughing and trying to assert dominance. and make. This is a real thing that men do. There's some apish term for it, but it goes with that total retaliation thing. You just have to poise stronger than any other gang in the area. I'm sure chimpanzees do this shit. This deep talk morning is still going. Hunter has invited a couple of the gypsy jokers over to the Hells Angels camp. So they're going, you know, the cops, they treat us the same. You know, you guys aren't that different than us. <laughs> yes, this is a profound point. At the time, Hunter asks for a picture with them, which is looked at as like, you're not allowed to take pictures as an angel. This was one of their rules because it can be used as corroborating evidence. Hunter got beat up, he said, for this. What are you, socializing with the enemy? Hunter said throughout while he's getting kicked. We're all the same. The outlaws have to stick together. So the angels kind of respect him for it because they all know this. But <laughs> he's uh, still considering himself an outsider. The worst would be if you had a writer who knows he got accepted just to write and he's starting to act like one of the fucking angels. He's still trying to put up a little wall there, which is good to see. <laughs> Low on beer. He's making another beer run. This time he bought along Tiny. He's this 260-pound bruiser. Makes it 10 miles out of town and they get stopped again by an arm-linked group. What the hell are they doing? They're standing in the middle of the road? It was like an Antifa protest. <laughs> Hunter's Thompson caught a word of a massive open house the night before, and some angels trashed it. Tiny was like, a couple girls did walk out back with the angels, and they looked fairly drunk. So, there is never a closed 
not to be tied on this storyline. Um, maybe someone was raped at this house party at Bass Lake, <laughs> but I mean, what Hunter's putting into prose here is that these women willingly walked into the backyard with the angels. Why are you going to dress scantily and go to Bass Lake when you know the Hell's Angels are there every 4th of July? He made this great point in an earlier chapter. He said, every time a girl comes across the Hell's Angels willingly, some sort of carnal urge has taken over her system. A woman in her right mind does not approach a biker. Is the freedom of association thing. Can you retroactively call someone out for something you regret taking part in? I'm trying to defend the undefendable here. They probably did rape some poor girl at the Hell's Angels Lake night. I'm just saying, sensationalizing a lack of evidence can lead into gang warfare. Journalism is dead. This second night here at Bass Lake, it picked up. LA Times was writing stories about how there was rioting, tear gas, and state troopers had to show up. And Hunter is like, none of that happened this weekend. Even the New York Times, they wrote, Youth riot engulfs California. Resort town set on fire. 200 detained. And Hunter was like, five people got arrested for setting fireworks off at night. So it's complete yellow journalism exaggeration. There's nothing true about the news a lot of times. It's coming from a reporter. Hunter S. Thompson said, It was a weekend of free enterprise, and if the town stopped serving beer as was threatened, there might have actually been a riot. <laughs> Let's go to chapter 7, Dope Cabal. Second to last chapter. This one really gets into the drug of choice of a hell's angel. Between 62 to 65, the angels trafficked over a million dollars worth of bud to the East Coast. Eight angels were caught at a Mexican border, two of which were women riding with a hundred fifty pounds of pot each on their bike. Amazing stuff. Three of those eight would go out to the East Coast. By 1966, the Angels were known to be in the trafficking game, and they got busted driving a 1,050-pound load of pot up to L.A. in a pickup truck. And the cops got a tip they were waiting for them. Rumor had it that a rival gang let the police know for a $100,000 reward that the Angels had to steal. I mean, this is when you're really justifying the police to ruin your weekend, when you start getting involved in free commerce. <laughs> Why did I just turn communist? At the time, pot in California was like booze in the 1920s. Every social event was centered around it, but it was still illegal. Angels called it weed or dope. And that's because Northern California hippies called it grass or pot. A little deeper than just the superficial names and why they're arguing. Hunter S. Thompson was saying the angels use marijuana for its relaxing effects. Not to be confused with like the mystic psychedelic experience that hippies are going for. Like the Terrence McKenna suggestion is you're not supposed to use weed habitually. But every week you smoke seven grams in one sitting and then you have a transcendent experience <laughs> why can't we just moderate hunter on july 4th was offered five grams of bennies and he said one guy had a bag of 1000 pills and said he'd give it to him for 53 dollars like you could hospitalize hundreds of people for 50 bucks and this shit is a million times more dangerous than marijuana but it's flooding the streets and legally bennies at the time were known as cartwheels or whites and this is the staple to an outlaw diet. 
benzos speed you up. It's like a uh, meth. Barbiturates are reds, or they call them red devils. These are the tranquilizers or the sedatives. And today we call them like Xanaxes we have or Hulks. You're not supposed to drink on any of these, but they've been doing it since the 60s because it's fun. And after July 4th, 65, the media was still ramping it up. The New York Times was saying the angels are heading east. Chain whips in hand. George Washington Bridge toll worker gets abused by Hell's Angel. One of the headlines actually had Tiny in it, the 260-pounder. And there were three policemen from Brooklyn, like, wrestling him in the middle of a riot. Hunter talked to Tiny when he got back from the East Coast. He said there was a transmorgification factor where the police were testing their brutality levels on protesters progressively to try to elicit more fear and see how long they could drag it out for. And you can't prove this. But, I mean, if you've ever been to a protest, you are being fished. Like, it feels like on one side of the football line, you have a gridiron going on in a protest. It's a tiny war. feels like the cops in the back line have fishing lines with donuts, and they're just casting it over and trying to reel you in to get the fight started. You already know who's going to win. Who bought fucking guns to a gunfight? (laughs) You saw just this year there was that case that went viral in Germany. A little kid got separated from his mom in a protest, and the cops started to beat up the kid. And even after he was bleeding from the face, they kept hitting him. So the crowd kept getting angrier, and the riot got even more violent. Whatever fucking transmorgification means, it's a fact. It's just a intimidation factor you use in a fight. In situations that are so... Uh, chaotic you can use even dirtier tactics especially in the media afterwards when the other side doesn't have a say hunter s thompson he went undercover with the nixon campaign and he used this term in his book transmorgification saying that there were bad actors joining certain parties and it seems like they were being hired so hunter s thompson is hinting at in the late 60s on the east coast The Hells Angels had a couple members that were getting involved in political groups. So they had those 60s neo-Nazi marches and the civil rights movements, just a bunch of edgelords. There's black people saying, can we fucking drink out of the same water fountain? And then white guys are going, no, 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 we want to be Nazis too. I mean, they're pushing the line for everybody. I love those guys. The Hells Angels have a clear line. You're not allowed to join any of these neo-Nazi groups. And you're seeing some cross-pollination. So in the 60s, it was a pure era before any of this COINTELPRO shit. And this is what the Hell's Angels was about, having picnics, getting into some sanctioned fights, drinking, fucking, smoking. By the 70s, somehow it's getting political. And these guys are outlaws. They are linkhorns. They don't give a fuck about Hatfield versus McCoy. We're here to have a good time. And for some reason, they're just uh, having their name dirtied. Hunter S. Thompson said it was seven weeks after the riot in New York that they had a report, and it was only a day after Bass Lake that they had that story written up. So, (laughs) you have a fucking mile-long post-production line where you have to print on the paper. You have the story written the day before. You see what I'm saying here? There's my assertion. These stories have already been written, and they are put into the zeitgeist when it can stir up the most pizzazz. 
Yes, we have jumped to the shark and I have now made a theory. It was a drug chapter. Hell yeah, we could get a little bit paranoid. Let's go to chapter 8, The Wall of Fire. Final chapter. Laconia, a small town in California, had a news article that went viral titled, Hell's Angels Create Wall of Fire and Disappear. They poured some gasoline on the ground, lit it on fire, and then drove through it. It's like they're creating music videos just for town people who have never seen anything cool. (laughs) And it's just being sensationalized. The Hells Angels are a household name by now. People are associating them with a stigma of dangerous bikers, and it's really just artificial danger. Hunter S. Thompson meets this guy, Kessie, who's a writer who's trying to go undercover with the Angels. And this is, he's like, my work's done here. He's wrapping up his own journey. It was only two years. He's Hunter. He takes his wife and his baby son to one of the final beach festivities he was invited to. (laughs) Take your wife and a baby to a Hells Angels bash. He sees a sheriff car with a massive printed sign and 20 angels rolling up to it. It said, Angels not welcome. Luckily, there was this guy who owned a plot of land over a river. And so the cops were holding their sign from across the river couldn't come onto the land it was a big fuck you kind of to a small town journals are demonizing hunter trying to make his writing invalid saying he's taking psychedelics and attending rallies so we're supposed to expect our reporters not to live a life and write about that life at this final bash the cops are writing noise complaints and hunter talks to them going you know i'm the journalist who's been writing about these guys i'm kind of working a story here what if i spin it to say that it got a little bit violent and so the cops are like really you can do that for us and so hunter knows this is his last time he's going to be trolling around the west coast on a motorcycle he lies to the cop he's not going to write them in a bad light but it shows you how dirty that can be the party could have been busted it all could have been over but hunter was able to use his blackmail which is now going to start a friggin ricochet effect of misinformation (laughs) party actually continued for 48 hours hunter saved all these people's good time a bunch of hipsters and marxist radicals show up and it turns into an lsd orgy hunter is like these two groups can play nice together it might need the help of heavy psychedelics but we could get there the hell's angels were starting to buy a ton of lysergic acid from the hippies They're like, this is the answer. This is what we're going to start spreading to the other coast. Hunter said you could look up the arrest records, and it actually did tick up the amount of LSD there was across the country. (laughs) It's a powerful network, and it might take 800 mics, but you could make these violent outlaws peaceful. (laughs) I mean, did we just find the personality cure? Terry took a heroic dose at Kessie's party and he thought he was a chicken and he was telling Hunter when are they going to put me on the fire I'm going to have a nice glaze put on me here Hunter was too pussy to drop with the angels (laughs) he's right he goes these people are too ignorant to know what to expect and too wild to care what happens you don't do 800 mics your first time They would just drop it, then hold on for dear life. Like, this is much crazier than the type of a trip a hippie's going to have trying to talk about political theory. (laughs) These guys want to watch something explode. Hunter said during those nights while they were just balls to the wall, they would just sit on their motorcycles. 
in the middle of the night for hours at a time. <laughs> I found this very telling. People go into like what makes them comfortable when they're in these psychedelic spaces for a couple hours to cool down. These guys would just feel at home sitting on their bike, feeling the rumble going up through their sack. Half man, half machine. You feel like a centaur when you're riding one of these things. This is a mythical breed of American and outlaw who doesn't take no shit. We need more angels. <laughs> these parties start happening more frequently in the late 60s, so while on the East Coast they're getting all political, the West Coast, the hippies, are actually starting to become friends and do drug deals with the Hells Angels. The Angels start doing business with the East Bay Dragons, the Rattlers, and the Black Gangs. So it's crossing bridges when we started doing the psychedelic drugs. I'm saying the 50s was big into the benzos. We read the Jack Kerouac, so they also did reds, a lot of opium. If we saw another boost of this Hunter S. Thompson wave of psychedelia, it could change the country. It could mend the fucking BLM riots. You can also not breathe while having a well-regulated police force. Modern day, a lot of bike gang members are ex-military. It's somewhere that's like a place for the disenfranchised and if we don't have that home for the homeless they become a problem in the most overt sense you see on the streets but in a deeper psychological sense as a country it's going to come out in obesity and addiction and anytime there is an organic growth of culture it's pretty sinful to try to undermine it like the fucking Marxist kids. That's a big gang no one's trying to defuse, and their goal is to enslave me into a socialist system. These guys just want to ride motorcycles. <laughs> Total retaliation of the state. <laughs> the state is a gang. Hunter said, Many people dream of walking over cops, extorting bartenders, and thundering around town. Usually the derelicts are the ones that have the gusto to seize it. Hell's Angels don't like being called losers, but you could get used to just about anything. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Hunter S. Thompson's Hell's Angels. I want to thank you guys for taking a ride along with me, a ride on the wild side. Um, check out that Patreon page. Make sure you are over on Instagram. Funny memes every damn night. Hunter S. Thompson is one of my favorites. I don't know if we're going to do the Nixon campaign trail book. Uh, Big Sur will be on here eventually. We'll probably take a year off as we did between the last one. And the older you get, the more you're able to actually understand those books. It's seriously well written. As for next week, we are keeping the train moving along. Another outlaw. We have Jean-Jacques Rousseau's The Confession. The life of an old French depressed deep thinker. This guy lived the artist lifestyle 200 years before Hunter S. Thompson. He was floating around on horseback. He has Parisian love affairs, all these hookup stories. Jean-Jacques Rousseau had to fight the king for exile because he wrote that book about the social contract. He was questioning things, pushing the envelope, being a neo-Nazi. Going to be a really fun show. Definitely tune in. Thank you once again, Hunter S. Thompson. Great timeless edition here on Nick's Nonfiction. As we do from week to week, I'm going to see you guys next time. Take it easy out there. Nick Munez, signing off. Peace.